Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Alliance. Supporting all 32 counties through the Alliance Leagues. Hello and welcome to the Throw-In Independent.ie's GA podcast in association with Alliance. I'm Will Slattery, delighted to be joined by all of you tonight at the Croke Park Hotel, ahead of the Alliance League Finals this Sunday. And joining me for a discussion tonight is an all-star panel of Michael Verney, my co-host, Dunica Boyle of the Irish Independent, and GAA legends Joe Brawley and James E. O'Connor. Guys, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Will. I think we've only two all-stars, to be fair. <laughs> it's not me or Boiler or you, Will. <laughs> is that camera going to be on the whole time? Yeah, so if you have any, I saw you studying the Mr. Moonlight trial in the paper, so maybe you keep those opinions offline for, for the moment. Just a quick reminder that uh, we have an emergency exit here and at the end there in case it all gets too much for you halfway through. Uh, Michael, I think I have to pay testament to the restraint you've shown with your wardrobe tonight. The last time we were together in Croke Park for a photo call, you dressed like Elton John. Tonight, you've gone for a more demure look. You know, you've you modeled yourself off style icon Donica Boyle. Yeah, I toned it down a bit. I think it's been videoed tonight as well, is it? So I said I toned it down a small bit. Yeah, no, but uh, for anyone that didn't see it, those pictures haven't emerged actually. A, a horrible floral shirt that my mother told me never to wear again, so it'll probably never see the light of day again. <laughs> well, Joe, speak up. You don't have to whisper. Joe was asking if Michael was a footballer or a hurler. Oh, <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> We're all friends here, Joe. You can say it out loud. This um, is kind of the hurling end down here, myself and Joe. Yeah. It's 2019. We like to cross-pollinate between football and hurling. We don't discriminate. Uh, Dunnick, obviously, league final weekend. Uh, it, it's, it's become such a big part of the calendar now. You know, in the past, I don't know how seriously teams took it, you know, maybe in the 90s and the 90s. But now, it, it's such a big way of gaining momentum heading into the championship. Yeah, I think there's a lot more stock put into it and there has been year on year between different things, between, I suppose, it becoming more and more of a panel game, the change of the structures in both. I suppose maybe you can argue that the edge was taken out of the Hurling League a little bit this year. But um, I think in terms of football, it's become more and more clear. And for my own mead, for example, like that's as, uh, as much as they can hope for in, in a lot of ways in what they achieved this year. So it really gives you something to go on. Yeah, Joe, I know your dairy team was very successful in the league, but, but how serious did you guys take it back, back then? Well, well, everyone knows that the league's a better competition now than, than the championship. And uh, so, I mean, it's a great delight for me that Leitrim are in the Division 4 final. 
tomorrow. You know, I, I, I see Mrs. Mulligan, Emlyn's mum's here, and she told me that Leeds aren't coming down until the morning, that her son has to work his shift until three in the morning tonight. Oh but Emlyn told me about a year ago at an event in Carrick on Shannon that he'd never played in Croke Park before, which shows you the inequality of the championship system. And, uh, you know, after the, their game last year against New York, which I was at out in Gaelic Park in New York, one of the best games of the year wasn't covered in the television. You know, RT covered it in the wireless. I was there, but that, but that really was the end of Leitrim after that game. I was at you that. Know? Yeah, it wasn't it a brilliant game? It was an incredible game, yeah. Like yeah. It, went to, extra it, went, time. it went to extra time. Everybody was jumping on their seats. And then with three minutes to go, New York were winning by three points. And Leitrim won four kickouts in a row and kicked four points in the space of about two minutes. And when the final whistle went, there was shock at what, what, who's won, you know, what's the score? It all happened so quickly. And yet that was the end of their involvement. And uh, I mean, so we see, we see in the league, you know, you look at Division One of the league now, Tyrone against Dublin, Tyrone against Galway last week. You know, the standard of football is superb. The Kerry-Dublin game was one of the best games I've seen for a very, very, very long time. And we go through the divisions and you see exactly the same. And yet we're still sitting with this ridiculous championship structure. Well, there are the issues in the football, James. Do you agree with Donegal? Was the edge taken off the hurling league a bit with, with the changing of the format? A little bit, yeah. But I mean, anyone that was at Clare Limerick down in Ennis in the snow, you know what? It was absolutely, it was it was as close to championship as you could get in terms of the intensity and what it meant to both sides. But then Clare, you know, were lethargic, struggled against against Waterford. So I think there's been so many games in, in you know, such a tight, condensed period that teams haven't been able to sustain maybe those same levels of intensity. And I think the new championship format and hurling as well, you know, every, every team really is looking, you know, to May and, and ultimately developing depth, finding a few new players, solving a few problem positions and, um, you know, really been ready to go, you know, on the 12th of May or 11th of May when that opening championship began starts. The, the Isle Hurling looked fairly intense to me. It, it, the day that Kilkenny played Limerick and Limerick just walked through them and, the, you know, fascinating to see Kilkenny suddenly looking like mere mortals. And But you yeah. haven't seen Kilkenny with a full team yet. Galway, I remember doing a piece for the paper, I think they'd used 36 players. And that was before the St. Thomas lads came back, before they got Dahi Burke back from Corrafin and there's a couple others as well. So, um, you know, I, I do think there was a lot more breeding space for counties to try a little bit more. Like, if you go back to last year, it was so intense. There was basically two championships, one after the other. Yeah, and, and Limerick, Lim- yeah, Limerick used 33 players. I think if, I'd say if you went down through it, Donica, I'd say most counties decided, yeah, look, we have to find, you know, if we learned anything from Limerick last year, they were able to bring on guys, take the semi-final against Cork. The guys that Limerick brought off the bench ultimately made the difference. Uh, Cork were, took Daniel Kearney off, brought him on again an extra time, and John Milo's priority this year had to be finding a few new a few new players. So everyone experimented, and the trap door of relegation wasn't there. So, you know, I, I think that maybe took a little bit of the edge off it. But the two teams, the two teams of the weekend will want to win. You know, you get this far now, you want silverware. And James, you just when in your heyday with Clare, what was the league taking? Like, how, how seriously did Jerlock Land take that league? I mean. <laughs> I, I, we never won one you know lost a final to tip um, you'd have to say look at yeah you were in the finals I mean, we lost a, a final to Tickle Kenny in 95 and Lagnan famously said that we'd, we'd, we'd win the Munster Championship afterwards um, so it's probably a regret looking back that I didn't win one yeah and we had a couple of bites at it but ultimately it was it was always secondary to the championship the championship was everything they took it seriously enough because I, I remember we uh, we played a practice game under 13 in 1999 before Offaly played Clare in the league and it was 
the first time obviously Offaly and Clare had met since Dignan pulled that horrific stroke that he should have got the road for and there was a big blown up poster of that incident on the way in tennis in Cusick Park that day so it was obviously something at stake anyway maybe not it just showed you it just showed you kind of the, the mentality though even back then and I suppose the league is important now is massive like James he said about Sunday's game like it's so important for the two of them Limerick kind of the aura of invincibility kind of stays going if they can stay winning for Waterford I don't think anyone expected them probably to get to a league final and it'd be a massive boost for them it's interesting on the aura of invincibility and I don't want to offend either you or Dunnaker because I don't know if you asked this question to Aaron Galan in a press conference because I think he was asked you know are you guys going too well at this time of year, and he was like, "That's a stupid question. You can never be going to." I well. don't think that's possible, to be honest with you. Like, and he's, he he made the point. Uh, Dunnicke was there. He made the point. Like, we're long enough getting beaten. Like, we're long enough trying to win titles. They were forty-five years trying to win Lee McCarthy. They're twenty-two years trying to get their hands on the league title. Like, they're going to strike while they are in his heart, and they'll be gunning for gunning for Watford on Sunday. Yeah, we're jumping around a bit now, but but Joe, to go to, back to the football final for a second, you know, back to Derry and Division Four. <laughs> well, maybe come back to them at the end. We'll go to Division One first anyway. Uh, Kerry versus Mayo, really mouthwatering game on paper for Mayo. Like, if they were to win, would it have? Would, would you put much stock in it going into the championship? Would it be a big difference maker for them in their All Ireland kind of quest? Well, I think that um, Mayo have Horan has been weeding out passengers during the league, and. Who are the you know, passengers? Come on, we know you. Well, I mean, for example, now they've got a they have a very vibrant half forward line, and like we all know, Mayo have played very attractive football and they've stuck to their principles, which has been a huge advantage for them, because the blanket defence for me has been a huge con trick on Gaelic football that we're only starting to recover from now. I mean, Jim McGuinness pulled off a classic ambush, but when everyone else started to do it and started to think that they had to do it, then. You, you arrived at a situation really, really good, like Derry, who were contesting the league final against Dublin. You know, Paddy Talley came in from Tyrone, brought in a blanket defensive system. And all of a sudden, you wouldn't have known whether the Derry players were good or not. You know, Tyrone were a classic example of that. Mickey Hart um, became very intimidated by McGuinness's system. And instead of doing what Jim Gavin and the Dubs had done, he started to try and copy it. So then, for the last five or six years, I had been saying, like, why are Tyrone doing this? They've got such gifted footballers. But if you spoke to anybody in Tyrone, after three or four years of this, they were saying, we don't have the forwards. Well, how can you tell? You know, they're playing in row three of the blanket defence. They're solo running, they're hand passing. Sludden, Peter Hart, Matty Donnelly, Cahill McShane, all sitting in the middle of the blanket defence. You know... Sean Kavanagh right back in the middle of the blanket defence, one of the most fearsome attackers of the noughties. And, uh, you know, whenever Tyrone converted at all Ireland semi-final stage last year against Monaghan to go man-to-man, it was clear that they weren't ready. They just didn't know what they were doing at that stage. It was too soon, and in the final it was too soon. But watch them now. All the same players, and nobody's saying now Tyrone don't have the forwards. You know, we see the example of Cora Finn, and, um, you know, we see the, the what's happened to me. Donegal have come away from it now as well. So hopefully all of that's in its death throes. Yeah, Donegal, do you think we're seeing a more kind of open style of football across the board? Do you think that is that kind of cause for positivity? Yeah, I think it's it's like anything. It's sort of like styles and niche. Was it Tommaso Shea said if, if Tyrone was set dancing, would all be set dancing? You know, like it was, uh, they really have to, to, 
it, there is a trend and I think people came on to the trend as Joe says after the 2014 ambush in the semi-final and everyone says well this is the way to do it and as Joe said before we started like you know the reason Mayo got as close to Dublin as often as they did is because they went yeah, with the way yeah. they went the way that they went toe to toe but it was also the way that suited them and their sets of players and there's no such thing as one size fits all I think you have to No but they stuck to their principles and what happened with Gaelic games after Jim McGuinness had gone and the dubs realised, look, everybody else is playing a blanket defence, save for Mayo. The championship became extremely predictable, and the dubs were picking teams off, they were picking teams off, and unpredictability went out of the game. Whereas in the past, prior to Jim McGuinness coming along, almost anyone could have beaten anyone. Me in their day could have beaten the dubs, you know, could have gone out and given them a great go. The Ulster Championship was very open. I mean, you look at what happened to Derry. Derry were brought to their knees by the blanket defence. One of the very, very good footballing counties of Ireland. Heavily respected club scene, colleges scene, underage scene. And we're sitting in Division 4. It's, it's funny. Just you know, it's a total loss of confidence that, that, that has led to this. And just while we're kind of going between football and hurling, it's interesting. The one thing he said that sticks out is anybody could have beaten anyone because that's what hurling have at the moment. And that's what, although there's always been great teams in football too, there was a sense of, you know, for man in 2004, beat our man in a quarter final. If that happened now, our man would probably have won that game. You know. Well, you're seeing it in the league this year with the dubs. Kerry gets stuck into them, went man to man, you know. I think Tyrone, Tyrone absolutely took them apart. Tyrone could have beaten them by nine or ten points. And do not think that's not significant. I mean, every year, up until now, the dubs have been going through most of the teams in Division 1, save for Mayo, all blanket defences, and just picking them apart because they're very, very, very good at doing that. But once you put them in their back foot, and you're seeing this year in the league for the first time in a long time, Dublin defenders turning and running back towards their own goal, the ball going in quickly before their sweeper can be in place. So, you know, I describe it as a contract, and you can see that when you look at teams like Cora Finn, teams that have stuck with their principles, teams who have continued to succeed, the Dubs, for example, you know, who continue to attack, move the ball quickly, attack, get scores, get scores, get scores. And, uh, you know, there's still some notable offenders. <laughs> For mana, you know, who well, are sort I, of I, football I, and, and a recent podcast, I said to you, to be oh. fair to Rory Gallagher, and you said I refuse to be fair to Rory Gallagher. No, I mean, there's, there's no, because what it do, what it does apart from it, I mean, it's completely ridiculous. I mean, I don't know if you saw it. Um, the BBC's more or less their only contribution to the GAA now in the North is that they show they show the McCrory Cup final, and St Michael's in a skillin. For mana college played blistering attack in football just a few weeks ago on St. Patrick's Day, to win the McCrory Cup final in style. Last year, um, the Enniskillen Gales, managed by Niall Corrigan, won the, the most prestigious minor competition in the North, the Ulster Minor Club Tournament, and they beat all the best teams in Ulster. And you've got Rory Gallagher saying, basically, look, I haven't got the players. But we Joe, those players aren't at senior level now. I, still, I, do, I do honestly think he's cutting the cloth that he has at senior level. That's fine, you can think that, but you're wrong. I don't think I definitely don't think I'm wrong. You're, you're if wrong. they went out and played swashbuckling football, they would they would be wiped away. It's, and it's, people would be saying, it's, "Oh, it's, it's great it's, they're it's taking them on 15 on 15." Well, but that's they are not the players that they have to do if, that at the moment. If what you want to achieve, if you want to want if you want if you want to achieve being Carlo, all right. If you want to achieve, you know, they'll hover between Division Four, Division Three. They're unwatchable. Fermanagh this year scored two goals, two goals, in seven National League games. That's a quarter of <laughs> that's a quarter of a goal per game. They scored sixty nine points across all four divisions. 
I honestly don't think the people of Fermanagh are going to remember that when they were in the Ulster final last year. I genuinely, genuinely don't. Were you at that Ulster final last year? Yeah, I was, Did yeah. you see how they performed? Yeah, they got wiped out, yeah. yeah. But they were there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you, you obviously don't speak to people from Fermanagh that often. No, they I do, yeah, hair like, regularly enough, yeah. Here's what, here's what you see at a Fermanagh match, right? I went to see Fermanagh against Tyrone in the McKenna Cup. Because sometimes you've got to go because people are saying, ah, you're a... You know you're a negative. You know you're 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 destroying Gaelic football. You're destroying its image. You know it's because of people like you that people aren't going to watch any longer. So I went to see Fermanagh against Tyrone. I, t- I tell you, nothing. You know nothing can prepare you for that. After forty <laughs> after forty one minutes, the score was two each. Two each after forty one minutes, and this is the crowd. Oh Jesus Christ! Oh, fuck's sake of it. Oh, Jesus Christ of Almighty. The whole Fermanagh team are back behind the 45, pointing. There's, after about 15 minutes, there's silence. They're pointing, pointing, pointing. No one can score. No one can get through. They can't score either. The first, I think the first score from playing the game came after 45 minutes. And in the end, you've got to ask yourself this question. What is the point of it? Do we want the kids to play this way? Do we want them to learn to play the game? And I think that it's clear that there's got to be in the Gaelic, in, particularly in Gaelic games, because we're not like soccer. We're not a professional sport. You know, we're not about moguls coming in and running teams and it's all about results and money and getting into that competition because you get millions and millions of pounds. We're about a shared journey. A well, shared just journey. Just the, just the balance so there, right? we can go along and enjoy. Just on the question of style of play, I want to bring in James O'Connor as a hurling man. Like, I don't know how much football you do watch. Like, Is it a sport that you, you enjoy watching or is it something, you know, as Joe said, the way it's gone over the years, is it something that it's going to put you off watching it? Oh yeah, listen. Like, played minor football for Clare lads uh, back in the day. Um, you guys no. scored eleven goals in the league this year. Yeah, and I mean, uh, obviously had a massive result in, in Turles at the at the weekend. I mean, Gary Brennan look at teaches with me, and um, you know, Gary's a great guy and top class top class player. But yeah, I mean, the football championship was dire last year. You know, really, really hard to watch. Um, and you know, I mean, I've. If, for example, the hurling semi-finals are on, you know, I'd head up on a, on, a, on a Saturday night, and if there's, a, there's invariably been a, a quarter-final or whatever in Croke Park, I mean, um, watched um, Tyrone and Mayo a couple of years ago. Um, and Mayo, as you said, have been, have been you know, really exciting to watch. Uh, but, yeah, f- the dubs have been the dubs have been on a different planet to everybody else. Um, but, I mean, they're, they're at the same time, I mean, you know, like, can Fermanagh compete with Dublin? You know, can Clare, for example, compete with Dublin? Can Clare compete with the resources, the playing numbers that that that, that, that you Kerry play have? At, you play at the um, level that you're able to play at at any given time. You know. Yeah, and I suppose to be fair to Colin Collins and the Clares, they've been trying to they've been trying to play the right way by and large. Hmm. I mean, they, they, I, I must tell you this because it's my favourite story, <laughs> and because Ennis Gillen Gales came up, Niall Corrigan, the great Fermanagh footballer, manages them, and he's a great fellow. And he asked me if I'd come down, you see, to 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 do a presentation and stuff. But he tells he, he, he tells a great story. It's my favourite GAA story. And Kil- Kilkenny were still fielding a team in the National League then, you see, in Division 4. It was, maybe, it was the mid-80s, maybe 83, 84. And now it was a tremendous specimen. He played cornerback for Fermanagh, but he played for Queen's in the Sigerson. And he would be very proud of his physique and you know, kept himself in great shape. And it was a very good Queen's team for him to be on. And... They were playing Kilkenny in uh, a home National League fixture up in, in Eskillen. 
and Sean Quinn put the Kilkenny boys up in the Sleeve Russell Hotel the night before. And they arrived out onto the pitch looking very bedraggled for the match, you see. And they only had the bare 15, they had no substitutes. And now uh, it's a wee weedy fella came out on him, you see, the right corner forward, and the ball was thrown in it. It was 1 0, 2 0, 3 0, 4 0, one way traffic, 1 4 to no score, 1 5 to no score, 2 5. And after about 15 minutes, you see, Nell, who was just standing there beside, he said the wee fella didn't even move. He said to him, um, just for want of something he says, are you um, doing much training? And the fella says, oh, I wouldn't know, I'm the bus driver. <laughs> 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 They'd had to talk about, you see, so that they weren't <laughs> disqualified. <laughs> well, hopefully we get slightly more competitive fixtures this weekend, Michael. Uh, we'll go back to the games. There's a nice, robust uh, discussion there on the state of Gaelic football. But for this game in particular, Kerry versus Mayo, we are hoping to see you know, th- that kind of positivity that, that, we, that we discussed. It's kind of creeping into the game. Who is the edge for you? Um, yeah, it's an interesting game. It's, like neither of them probably set out to get to a league final or maybe expected to get to a league final, but there's a lot on the line for the two of them now. Kind of two, obviously two new managers in, probably playing slightly different styles. Kerry's defence obviously a good bit meaner this year than it had been. I think it's six goals and twenty points less conceded this what, year. What did you make of Aidan O'Rourke's remarks though? That he kind of singled out one game where they didn't defend well and kind of paced they, them. They conceded one ten in that yeah. game. I wouldn't be and I wouldn't be overreacting on one game throughout the league. The, the couple of times I saw them and when I saw them in Tume against Galway, they were pretty solid defensively and not even that. It was the amount of bodies that were working back. It, there just seemed to be a different kind of work ethic all over the field. I think it's going to be an interesting game. Mayo have tried to unearth a few more forwards. Like the Fergal Boland, they've tried to play Kevin McLaughlin inside. He did very well against Monaghan at the weekend. Tried to develop a few more attacking options. I'm still not convinced whether I'd say they'll probably revert to type come championship time and most of the most of the same faces will come back in. But a very, very interesting game. I'd, I'd give the edge to Kerry, to be fair. Um, just think they've too much in attack, especially with David Clifford coming back. Sean O'Shea has been un- unbelievable throughout the league as well, and James O'Donnell is coming back as well, and probably Paul Ganey could be in around there as well. So I just think they have probably too much firepower. Yeah, Donegal, just on, on the point Michael made on Mayo, like are these young players that James Horn has tried out, do you, do you think they're the real deal? Will they realistically feature in big in the big championship games? I think it's just too early to say, to be fair. Um, I think we'll learn more about them um, on Sunday night. We'll know more at 6 o'clock on Sunday night, but um, you know, both teams are in in various stages of development I suppose you can say about the Kerry fellas that there's a lot expected of them because they've won so much at underage level and we've heard so much about them the Mayo guys we don't really know that much we don't know about where they you know where they stand in terms you'd of wanna, you'd want to hope that Mayo were developed well enough at this stage I know he's asked me about the new fellas specifically like the Fionn oh, McDonough's of this yeah. world like obviously now they have yeah, Brian yeah. Reap, John McDonough, you know, Karen Brian Tracy. Brian Reap's been knocking around a little while yeah. now. But I would say just as, as a general point yeah. for Mayo, but winning a national final is is absolutely That's vital true. for them. It's 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 bigger. It's a it's a bigger game for them in that in that context than it is for Kerry because I did a little bit of just totting up before I came down, and it was since '71 when they won a national league between minor under 21s and senior, there've been 43 national finals. They've won nine of them. 1971 that's minor 21s and last year's on the 20 as well so that means they've lost 30 national finals big, since big, big strong the thing about Mayo especially when they'll play Kerry it'll be a most entertaining game Ruan 6 foot 4 he's a flying machine he played brilliantly against Kerry the last day and Horan's doing something that Pete McGrath did when he took over the down team in the early 90s the team the brilliant down team he's putting midfielders 
in as many positions as possible. So Cohen has gone to wing back now and looks great there. He, was, he looked a bit out of his depth at midfield and he's been the captain at UCD for two or three years. Ruan looks great at midfield. Kevin McLaughlin plays midfield for Knockmore. He's number 11. Dermot O'Connor's a midfielder. So throughout the field... Aidan O'Shea is in midfield, Joe. I yeah. know you have strong views on where he should be <laughs> playing, but aye, like, aye, he's, he's aye. been but doing he, very... He'll, he'll, very do, he'll do it in midfield, yeah, but not at number 11. I mean, I'm very opposed to him playing Will he be midfield 11? come big game in the Championship? Because like, he's, he's had several midfielders who ne- or managers who haven't put him there. Yeah. And he seems that he would have an awful lot of what you well, I mean, need the big, for that. The, the big issue for Aidan comes against the dubs, but everybody's going to have an issue with the dubs pace. And, and for that game, you would imagine that what they should do is alternate him between midfield and full forward and play Jeremy O'Connor at midfield to run, to, do, to work and run. But they're still a very, very strong team. I mean, there's still... You have to say that if, if, if you were asked whether or not you'd want, you know, Conor Callaghan at centre-forward or Kevin McLaughlin, good and all as Kevin is, or whether you'd rather have Andy Moran or Paul Mannion, the dubs have just got that extra bit of electricity. But there comes a time for everybody. And there are definitely signs in the league. I know that the dubs are very relaxed about it at the moment. And there's nobody more expert at conjuring a score. And what you always ask yourself about, you know, great teams have it. The great Kilkenny hurling team had it. The great Kerry team of the 80s had it. And this Dublin team have it. Who will conjure a score at the crunch? So they've won four All-Ireland finals by a point. But you never thought they were going to lose them. Very relaxed. They know how to conjure that score. So still, that's that's going to be a big breakthrough for Tyrone, Kerry, Mayo to try and get past that thing that the dubs have, which is that supreme relaxation when it comes to the moment of truth. Just on that, John, like there's no better man to conjure a score than probably Dermot Connolly. Like, do you do you think he's going to be involved this year? I, I don't know. Jim's impossible to... I mean, I know Jim as a person and I've had a pint with him and all of that, but it's impossible to know. I mean, you, it's just, you know... Uh, I mean, I enjoyed the day... What's he like having to have a pint with? He's just like, you know, good to see you, Joe, you know. It's, uh, you know, I say, cause, you know, I met him the night after all Ireland. We had three or four pints together and your man, Conor Moore, got up on stage and he did a an impression he got up on the table in the Palace Bar and he did an impression of me as he always does, the wee shite. But... <laughs> And he also told her a very, very funny story, which I'll tell you afterwards at the bar, <laughs> that concerned me. And, and anyway, so I was there, and uh, it was all very fun, and they're very relaxed, down-to-earth group, very modest group. And I was saying to Jim, you know, um, I hope he doesn't hold this against me, you know, because I'm very fond of him. But I say to Jim, you know, God, it was a great victory. He said, no, well, you know, it's a, it's a victory for the boys, you know, and for football in Dublin, you know. It's a good impression. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and so no matter what way you would try to approach it, you know, it, it just remains exactly as. I mean, that, that day down in Kerry when Kerry beat them and there was a bust up out in the field afterwards and Jim <laughs> just walked straight past it as though, it, as though it, and he does have that sort of, Zen like calm, you know, uh, which you normally associate with people on tranquilizers. <laughs> <laughs> James, we'll go back to uh, to hurling now. Um, obviously, it was funny. I was talking to Joffrey about how we reach so much into the league now. You know, we're, we're looking for storylines at this time of year, and in particular in hurling, the last few years we've been kind of coronating all Ireland champions towards the end of the hurling league. Like Tipperary got to a final one year; they looked really strong. You know, Galway as well, and for Limerick, they seem to be on that cusp as well. Like if they go out and win well at the weekend, you know the the pressure will build, you know, the talk about how good they become will build. Like, what you- They've been as impressive as, as any All-Ireland champions have probably been, um, you know, in the league. I mean, they've they've used 33 players. Uh, 
there's just been they just look like all Ireland champions. I mean, I saw Galan, for example, playing in the the, the Fitzgibbon um, semi final against the UAG, and he was he was by a mile the best player in the pitch. Mm. You know, it was playing with confidence physically. He was ripped, just looked like and 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 these guys have spoken obviously about having the hunger to to go back and do it again. But like you look at the Munster Championship, you tell me the three teams that are going to come out of Munster this year. Um, you know, Limerick have to go down to Walsh Park to Waterford. They gave Waterford a hiding last year in, in, the, in the Gaelic grounds. Don't tell me Waterford won't be up for that. They've got to go to Torres to play Tip. Sheedy's back. Tip will be invigorated. Uh, Clare Limerick will be a, a ferocious battle. Cork obviously have the, the, the disappointment of the semi-final well, last what's, year. So What's going on with Tip? Because they look fabulous at times and then they just seem to have nil interest on other I occasions. I think the Cork game, you know, Cork looked like non-triers to me in that game. Genuinely, like, because Tip absolutely blew them out of water a week a, a day or two after coming back from Alicante and that was kind of a bit of an aberration throughout the league because they didn't show anything like that at any other stage throughout the league and to me uh, Liam Sheedy looks a frustrated sort on the line I, I don't think I don't think it's what he expected when he came back being honest and I think I'd have worries In what way? Um, I don't think they're where he thought they were maybe um, and he probably has a lot more work to do than he thought and Are they hard to handle? Are they hard grip to handle? I don't know I don't know any of them individually well, like. They're on the go a long time a lot, of those boys, well like, too, they yeah. are, like, a lot of those boys won in All-Ireland in 2010 a lot like like Porrick Marr and those boys went on to win the under 21 All Ireland six days later. Blue Galway out of the water, new era for Tipperary, Hurland, Kilkenny were after being stopped from the five in a row. And then I suppose just a year it limped on and limped on, like, yeah. and, and it's f- still the same fellas, James. Yeah, like a lot and, of them, and like, yeah. And and you, you know, you look at that tip forward line, we we'll say Bubbles, John McGrath, Noel McGrath, Callan, if he's there, class, Powerful but too. but. Is, is there pace there? You know what I mean? And we we'll say That's Limerick. everywhere, James, I think, to be honest. With yeah. You. And, and worries about pace and, and all and lines of the field, to be honest. Yeah, and you even wonder, we'll say physically, like Limerick have taken it to a, another level. You know, have Tip maybe taken their eye off the ball a little bit there? Have they have they fallen back a bit? And I think there was a huge amount of work that they'd done earlier in the year in terms of physically getting the, 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 the strength and conditioning work done. But, but at the same time, Tip have class, Tip have match winners. I mean, John McGrath is still a fantastic player. If they can coax another year out of Callanan. And last year, they got it wrong. I mean, they, you know, the, the club championship, the build up to it, but in the league final, um, and they certainly didn't play their best hurling. And I think you'll see a more measured approach in terms of making sure that Callan and these guys are fresh for when they're needed in May. But Wait, they're, they're only what six weeks from championship now at this stage. You know, the, that's the, six seven the, weeks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like, you know, they're on the clock now, big time. And Michael, what about Waterford? I guess you know before the league, I think there was a perception that it could be a transitional period for them after Derek McGrath leaving. They've kind of surprised people by getting to the league final. Like people are reevaluating their championship prospects already. Yeah, it's, it's a funny one there. Derek McGrath would have left a fair legacy in Waterford and was so well liked by everyone in Waterford that it was probably important that it, what there wasn't too big of a personality coming in and taking over and being very autocratic and making them do this and making them do that. I think Park Fanning has kept most of the same things that Derek McGrath had. He's uh, he's not changed too much. He's changed their style of play a bit. There's no evidence of the sweeper at the moment. There could be evidence of that on Sunday. But he's brought in a few fresh new faces as well. And um, I'd say he'd be delighted about how, how they're going, to be honest with you, because it pro- it's probably unexpected would, to be here. Would, would Der- I, I, saw, I don't know if you saw you know, on Twitter and on, you know, on social media, some of Derek McGrath's graphs and, you know, things that were given to the players. And they looked like the sort of things you would see in one of Stephen Hawking's, you know, theories of the universe. I wondered, was quite a bit of that stuff 
you know, confusing the team. Well, there because is there's a certain amount of that, Jay. There's a certain amount that has to be basic. And as, as someone said to me the other day, yeah. some players like the pi r squared manager that yeah. gives them this, this, and this. And then some other, some other ma- players like the manager that will just tell them, you know, lorry ball into the full forward. Which one were you, Michael? Like, 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 I, 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 yeah. I, I, yeah. I, there has to be a bit of agriculture and a bit of science yeah. kind of mixed together. Derry, 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 which must be the much, which must be a first in '93. Eamon Coleman who was a bit sceptical about it himself, but I don't know, I think Mickey Moran must have said to him, look, it might be useful to bring in a sports psychologist. So they got in this guy, they got, a, they got in this Australian guy, Craig Mahoney, this is, you can look him up, a very, very eminent guy. He took like the Australian ping pong team and stuff like that. And, that's you know, credentials, then he, that's then he was credentials. In, no, 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 but then he became <laughs> the, the lecturer in sports psychology at Loughborough University and, you know, very famous athletic teams and all of that. And he had a handlebar moustache and he was a very confident big Australian. <laughs> and he arrived over, Coleman says, we're going to bring this man in. He says, and he's a very, very eminent man and I want just to give him a chance. You see, everybody thought it was hilarious. So anyway, Brian McGilligan, um, you know, our titan in the middle of the field, one of the hardest men I've ever seen in a Gaelic football field. He uh, he says to me, "What sort of a what sort of a man is this, Broly?" He says, "What the what the fuck's that all about, sir?" <laughs> and I said, "I said it was just sports psychology, Brian. You know, I kept it totally straight. Just sports psychology." I said, like, "Very, very, very normal stuff." He says, "Well, what sort of stuff?" I said, "You know, it's the usual thing he'd be asking you. You know." If you've ever had any sexual feelings for your mother, you know, <laughs> totally straight face, you can see me like, and you can feel him like, Shh. and I said, you know, the sort of stuff it is, Brian, like sports psychology, you know, when did you stop wetting the bed, etc., etc. <laughs> you see, so anyway, <laughs> before he arrived in, and Coleman introduced him, you see, and uh, when we were just finished the wee talk that he had given. When he put his hands on McGilligan, he says, you know, Brian could have a word, and McGilligan says to him, fuck off. <laughs> that, was, that was the end of the sports psychology. <laughs> so I did wonder, because they looked like a team that weren't exactly sure. They were probably shackled a small bit. That's some extent. segue yeah. back into, yeah. back into the question. You're a fair man to remember oh, what yeah. the question was in the first place. <laughs> 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 Well, James, you always a sports psychology like in the Clare dressing room with Drew Lagnan back in the day. Well, Lagnan had his own ways, yeah. Um, <laughs> he was a psychologist, though, James. In unbelievably, a lot of ways, wasn't he? unbelievably, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any time you you might be getting ahead of yourself, he just cut you with the knees. You know, that ability just to read, read guys. And um, I mean, I remember one. There was a guy, Rusty Chaplin. Rusty was um, rough, physical, strong, and and and. Uh, Rusty would have spent a good bit of time in training matches, Mark and me, I suppose, whether toughening me up, whatever. But a particular wet night in training, um, you know, Rusty had, I said, cleared the first three or four balls and put me on my arse on this particular occasion. And, like, and out of the side of his mouth, come on, Rusty, you've been fucking cleaned, you know. <laughs> but sure, you're, I got up off my knees just out of temper alone, probably scored four points from Rusty from the rest of the match. And he had me exactly where he wanted me. And he was doing the same to Baker and Daly and all these guys. And... He just had that ability to to know what to say at the right time and read the mood of the team. And I think Cody probably had an element of it as well. All that stuff about, you know, these positivity gurus and all that sort of motivational stuff. And then you you look at someone like Zero or even Coleman, who was a brilliant natural. I mean, I remember Coleman doing this one time and he was a total surprise because he wasn't well educated, you know, but he was a brilliant orator. And as you say about Lucknan, he, he understood, you know, he always used to say to me, you see, because contrary to what people would have thought, who thought this guy's super confident, Coleman knew that that wasn't the case with me. And he used to say to me, Joey says, 
you're the best forward in Ireland. I says, you were unbelievable out there tonight. And he would say that to me, all, and he never said it to another player in the team. <laughs> and I started, after a while, I started to think, fuck, that, that must be true, because he's getting fucked into everybody else. <laughs> and he's telling me, just, I can't believe how good you are, Jody. He used to call me Jody. But anyway, I'll tell you this great story about him. Tony Scullion, the force of nature, sort of five-time all-star, you know, Irish team every year. Just an unbelievable Gaelic footballer. And totally natural, chain smoker, didn't stretch. Used to think it was hilarious when we were doing these stretches because Tohal had come back from Australia and Tohal had insisted that we start the strength and conditioning work, which Scullion, who was like a beast, thought was hilarious. And when we would be stretching, he'd be smoking one cigarette after the other, you know, like out there. And that's what Tony's face, like out there, you know. So anyway, we were about to play Tyrone in the Ulster Championship first round, and we'd beaten them seven days earlier in a, in a very, very hotly disputed National League final. And there was terrible ill feeling between the two teams at that stage. Down had won in All-Ireland, and we were playing the first round the next year, and everybody in Ulster sniffs, everything's changing. We can win All-Irelands. So it was just, and it was in Celtic Park, and there were 15,000 people there, and it was going wild outside, and Coleman was obviously worried that Scullion wasn't taking things seriously enough, you see. So he says, Tony Scullion, he says, look, give me that newspaper there. Give me that newspaper there in front of you. He says, he says, Tony Scullion, he says, what do you hear what Matty McLean said about you in the fucking newspaper of the day? He says, look at that. And he starts shaking it like that, and you can see Matty McLean's face on the thing, because Matty had marked him the previous, or he had marked Matty the previous week. Matty had scored a couple of points, which would be unusual enough against Scullion, you see. And he says, look what they fuck, I'm going to fucking write some of this out to you, Scullion. He says, he says, he says, Tony Scullion is done, he says, and I intend to finish his career out there today in Celtic Park. <laughs> <laughs> he says, he says, it was a pleasure to play against a man that has done everything like that for his country and for his county, he says, but I'll finish him today. And he threw the newspaper down the attack. Well, that's what he thinks he is, Scullion. And Scullion got up, I kid you not, and he punched a hole through the door of the door at Celtic Park, and we went rumbling out onto the pitch, Scullion purple with rage. And we came out, we beat them very easily. The game was over very quickly. And after the game, we came in. We are in the shower, and I thought, fuck. That doesn't sound like something that Mary McLean would say. <laughs> and the paper was still lying in the corner of the changes and the boys got about telling themselves. I went over and picked up the paper. It was an honour to mark Tony Scullion last <laughs> week. <laughs> and another honour for me to be picked to select to play against one of the greatest defenders that I learned today. He had just made it all up. <laughs> Mind games at he the best. He made it all up, huh? yeah. Uh, Tony, just go back to, to the finals. Obviously, the Division Two game as well, big for your county, Mead. You know, back in Division One for the first time in over ten years, and people are hopeful that this represents some sort of resurgence in Leinster going into the championship. Um, yeah, I, uh, Division Two is so tight and so, you know, so claustrophobic that getting out of it is an achievement in itself. Because I think Mead have been they've been finished to finish three, uh, third three times in the last five years or something like that so they've been very close they've lost out in head to head they've lost out in the score difference so um, yeah it's it's big it's big to get out of it um, they're on the other side of the draw in Leinster from Dublin as well so the Leinster final is not out of the question as far as uh, tomorrow goes tomorrow afternoon 
Um, I know they went for a few pints afterwards on uh, on Sunday night to celebrate getting the thing. So that suggests to me that you know promotion was by far and away the big thing they wanted. Um, so look, whatever goes on tomorrow, I think they're, they're it's awfully in the first round, Michael, isn't it? Awfully in the first yeah, round. So yeah. um, Long I, I think I think they're one hundred percent out yeah, for that. Me now, for another it? team that abandoned their attacking principles. Seamus McEnany came in, organised them into a blanket defensive. Yeah, they were, me behind the curve in every in every way in terms of setting things up in terms of development squads. Like me, were still. I don't know if any people from me here, but like they were still pulling together their best 18-year-olds in the county until about seven or eight years ago. I remember doing an interview and just hoping that would be enough as what everyone else would be starting with about 12 or even earlier. I remember Trevor Giles doing an interview a few years ago. It's only about two years ago now and he was saying, he says, well, our minor team now has three years of strength and conditioning behind them and you're just there, jeez. And I'd be talking to a lot of fellas, obviously through work and you realise how far behind we were. Like, But just in, in going back to what you were kind of saying earlier, like, they went away from the DNA. There is a DNA in every county for how you play football. And in me, I play club football myself. It's still very much long kick and very traditional orthodox stuff. And adapting to anything else takes an awful lot of time and takes an awful lot of buy-in from an awful lot of people. And uh, so I, are they going? They're playing more to that traditional style. I, I, yeah, they are. I think, but I, I think they're also um, they found a group of fellows who are all buying into it, which is. Considering how much they're putting into it, that ESRI report that the GPA did find they're doing 31 hours a week. Like, if you're giving 31 hours to anything, you know, I'd, I'd want a wage out of it. Like, you know, so... They, if you're giving 31 hours to anything, you get depressed. That's what happens. Yeah, well, you yeah, know, but that, well if you're doing you, you want to like get something dubs, out of it. The dubs have two pitch sessions a week. Two pitch sessions a week. That's to do. And you can ah, see but they're, they're in fresh. the gym, Joe, as well. They're, like, they're in the gym as well in their own time. They're doing yoga and Pilates, those sorts of things. But they have their own lives. There's no drink bans or anything like that. They've got it right. They're a good example of it. Look at, all you've got to do is look at Cora Finn. Were any of you at the match at the, on St. Paddy's Day? You didn't see their under-12s at half-time in the minigame. It was absolutely unbelievable. Exactly like the seniors. Foot pass, foot pass, foot pass, far post goal. The crooks under-12s didn't know what had hit them. Now, you look at Cora Finn. Look at what they've achieved in the last three out of sort of five years. But really what they're achieving is they're achieving an absolute hub of Gaelic games, a community of Gaelic football where it's great fun. The parents love it. The spectators love it. The whole community revels in it. Can I work on an inter-county level? Of course it can. But I mean, look at the way Kevin Walsh plays. Dumb stuff. Galway organised into a blanket defence by a Tyrone man, Paddy Talley. Totally formulaic. Brilliant player like Shane Walsh, maybe you get one or two flashes of brilliance once every two or three games from him because he's expected to go back into the middle of the blanket defence. A classic example of a county who have abandoned their principles and still haven't refound themselves yet. You know, but they're gonna have to come out of that because we've seen what happened to them last year. Galway shouldn't be sitting, you know, Galway shouldn't be playing mediocre football. The Galway teams that I played against were superb football teams and they've got they have got eight or nine of the best forwards, I believe, in Ireland who could go out and compete against anybody and play superb football. And yet, look look what's happening with them. It's a very strange thing. They scored Ke- two points yeah. against Tyrone in the second half last week. It was embarrassing watching them. It was very strange. Kevin Watch said that like everyone was saying that they were going to be relegated and this kind of thing. And I didn't see anybody saying that they were going to be relegated. He comes out with some ah, very off-the-wall things about like what media people have allegedly yeah. said about And I know team. they were missing ah, an awful lot of players. That's not exclusive that. to Kevin Walsh now by any stretch. You know, there's always someone written off somewhere. I remember uh, Brian Cody said it one year and says, well, a lot of people say, that we were we were written off 
and Martin Brighton, in fairness, in our paper, went through every game from the first round of the Walsh Cup through to all the previews we do on a Saturday and checked every one. And let's say they played 15 matches that year. Every time Kilkenny were tipped. So just shows you know, the power of the newspaper stuff. still. Yeah, yeah. Newspaper still lives in fairness. But there's, there's definitely there's an element of truth that in that though that you know your your culture, your identity, and at the game in O'Shea, I think you know would regularly speak about about it. Would say we're tipping the Tipperary hurlers that there is an essence of you know d- d- their DNA and the way they the way they play and you're right about the meat meat footballers and the tradition that they have you can't be stupid in terms of you know thinking that ground hurling for example Offaly going back to ground hurling is going <laughs> to go back and win Gen Z, you there's still boys in Offaly now yeah. that were genuinely <laughs> you, know, you, know, loads, you, know, you, you know the game the game has changed and it's moved on but it's not abandoning everything that's that, that, that you know that, that yeah. makes you what you wear as a county yeah, as, as a team and it's, an it's, it's about finding that medium I think isn't it you look at down 2010 brilliant football final they just came out of nowhere and they were absolutely exhilarating. Typical down. Everybody says, typical down. Look at that. Look at the way they're playing football. It's brilliant. Cork, who'd been trying to win an All-Ireland with the same team for over five years, beat them by a point. You know, and down played brilliantly. The following year, Jim McGuinness. Then within two or three years, down were going down into the blanket defensive hole. They went down into Division 3. I mean, you couldn't watch a down team now. They're completely unwatchable. You know, a team that has completely abandoned its principles. And those principles being, you know, you go out and you play, you express yourself. In the end, that's what the game's about. So you wouldn't be confident Pally Tally will bring in an expressive style with Down then? They were, they were beaten by Louth last week and they, they scored two points in the second half. Was it two points? It was an awful result, yeah, at home as two well. Two points at home. One, six, six, like six, down, seven, you imagine Mickey Linton and Greg Blaney and those boys and Ross Carr, we James McCartan and all that, playing now, go, running about in the middle of a blanket defence. And supporters saying, "Ah, take him off. He's not doing anything." You yeah, know, that's what happens. Michael, what do you make of the, the notion of counties having their own identity and wanting to play a certain style? Like, would you you go along with that? I go along with that definitely, yeah, because we we're still having an identity crisis and awfully about what sort of way we should be playing, and it's because in of that. Football or hurling or uh, both? No, no, just in hurling, to be honest with you. And they're, they're, as I said, there are still lads that think that we should be using ground hurling, and I don't think that. I, ground hurling is useful at certain certain times don't get me wrong when the ball is around the goals if you're a forward or an attacker to get it out of there or to get it into the goal it's useful and the odd time out around the half hour line to pull a ball inside or something like that but there are lads that still think that we should be like going in lines of four hooking the ball on the ground the whole way up the field and we're still just like Dunnick has said about Mead we're still kind of chasing the pack really suppose we've fallen behind because of maybe still thinking that that's the way that we should be playing and now we're only catching up on strength and conditioning our skills are much lower than any other counties and that's why we'll continue to fall unless we uh unless we change that and arrest that kind of decline you know yeah and both football and hurling don't there has been a breakaway hasn't there and there's so many counties playing catch-up yeah big time um like even from covering it yourself you've, you've mentioned that you've noticed a lot like when you're you yeah know, yeah like uh, you I mean the gap in quality now and the gap of or even the preparation and, and just the way teams are approaching things so, like so much money involved the, in the, other thing, the money the money involved in, in preparing a uh an inter-county team now a top level inter-county team and everything you demand just to shoot par now not yeah. not to set new standards because there's always been par. quality disparities but now it's like just how the teams even approach yeah now, preparation now, now one of the other things that it, it, it i without putting words in the lads mouth I'd imagine when you were training it would have been quite easy or re- relatively easy to train as hard as you physically hard as you were training because I've read the books about Gerlach Nan running his round hills and re- like that was doable in a lot of places the stuff they're doing now there's sports science behind it there's expertise there's access to all sorts of different skilled people at any time of day or night and that cost big money 
Well, like Steam Sheedy said it, and he said it. They need, they need a second bus now with Tip. That was one of the big things he noticed from 2010 to now that they need a second bus, basically for the amount of personnel that they have involved. And that's not players, like. <laughs> and everybody's going around with earpieces all the time. You know, you see a team get beaten by 12 points, and the manager's going. Well, that's how Jim Gavin celebrated the three in a row. He took off his earpiece, and that was that was it. Tomas Uchet told me a very good story. He said that he was um. He, he lives, you know, down in that. Foot Island, that place, you know, down in in Cork. <laughs> it's, it's in Ireland, just <laughs> that far away. And they're and they're in the Free State, and and they're and they're and they're, uh, he overlooks the playing fields. He says one morning his young boy came in to him and says, "Oh, Daddy, Daddy, I think it's the Kilkenny hurlers." This is last year. He says, "Oh, I think it's the Kilkenny hurlers." You see, and. Tomas said, oh great, he said he went out and he made a sandwich and a cup of coffee and he sat out in this lovely sunny morning and Cody refereed the match, it was a training match, you see, and half the boys had bibs on and half didn't. And he says that it was extraordinary. He says Cody threw the ball in and they just welted off each other. Cody blew the whistle for the first time at half time. He said that on at least two or three occasions, they hockeyed each other out over the sideline, two or three boys got injured. Second half, Tomas says it was enthralling. Th- th- throws the ball in again, blows the whistle, and then the, the third time all day that he blew the whistle was at the end of the game. Tomas said he, he couldn't resist, and he went down to say hello to Cody, you see, and Cody was coming off, and he uh, says, oh, Tomas, how are you doing? And Tomas says, Brian, a whistle would do you a good long time. <laughs> but at that point, you're making again about a lot of the bullshit that passes for you know scientific sort of advice in relation to how the game should be played. Well, somebody like Cody again, like Alex Ferguson, you know, just a natural. But he's getting that steel into the misney, like you know what I mean. And I know there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a bit of science to that as well, like not the sports science that we all associate, but but he's getting steel into those boys and basically making sure that they're prepared for anything that's thrown at them in a match. Oh, suppose he goes for character. character. That's it, yeah. That is it. Well, yeah. It's funny as Joe was explaining that Kilkenny story. I think James, he looked like he was having some Vietnam like flashbacks of some of his own no, training well, yeah, games. I mean, yeah, listen, Lugnam was the same. I mean. Um, <laughs> I mean, Lognan never blew the whistle. I mean, there was one particular, <laughs> even buy a whistle. One particular time, uh, Lohom was coming out with a ball and, and um, Fergal Hagerty or someone knocked him off balance and, and three of us, I'd say, swarmed him. And you could see Lognan fumbling for the whistle, you know, free and overcarrying, good man, Hago, you know. And Eamon Taff, whoever was full forward, was going to get absolutely killed in the next 10 minutes, you know. But that was just the way that, that, that it was. It was it was an element of survival of the fittest. And, you know, you, you just... It, it, it certainly it toughened us up mentally it toughened us up physically and, and that's Cody has operated by similar principles but I think you know stats and all that are they're important and they have a role but I still think Cody has his beliefs as to you know why Kilkenny were successful and everyone said in 2013 for example that oh Clare going to rush in a new era and you know the game has changed and all the rest of it and Kilkenny came back and won you know won, won, won two in a row or whatever and I, I don't think even now you look, look you look back to last year Kilkenny could have beaten Limerick, probably came as close as anybody to beaten uh, to beat Limerick, and I still think that he he has his beliefs about what's required, and they haven't changed in the last uh, the last yeah, 10, Michael, years. Yeah, Michael, what about those methods? Like, are they commonplace, or are they kind of not, almost not outlawed? Almost, you know, in in intercounty hurling and football now. Those practice those yeah, those kind of old school traditional. Uh, they shouldn't be outlawed. They're outlawed in a lot of counties because they're afraid of picking up an injury or lads getting hurt but I'd always say like and I'd say James you probably agree with like you're nearly better off if a lad gets injured in that game fair enough because the other 29 lads are going to be 
perfectly prepared for whatever game is coming up. Would you like? Would you agree with that? If you pick up a knock or that, fair enough. The rest are going to be ready, though. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, you're going to pick up a knock. You're going to pick up a knock. I mean, it's yeah. it's 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 inevitable. But I still think you know at the same time, Cody. Except is, you have to lay off Henry Sheffield. Yeah, yeah. Do but touch Cody. Henry. But but but. <laughs> Cody, I think, is a sponge for information. I mean, Cody at the same time will Kilkenny have evolved and the game has changed and Kilkenny are certainly playing a more judicious possession type game than they than they used to. Um so it's not like that this the Kilkenny aren't learning and watching and evolving too, and I think they have evolved. The question is whether they have the players now to, to, yeah, to, just to go all the way. Might Joe put a hypothetical had to see hypothetical question to you. You know, you had Pat Gilroy jumping to hurling last season. If Brian Cody was over one of the top under county football teams, what do you think it would look like? Well, I mean you'd you know, you'd want to have a strong character, like but you see there's a lot of people who take the view that the manager's the manager's role is overestimated. You know that there's only so much that a manager can do. You look at his clear team. It was a brilliant team. You know, they were brilliant athletes. They were brilliant hurlers. They were tough. They were determined. They were winners. You know, he's a remarkable character, and you see that through the team. So you meet the Kilkenny boys. I've got to know Eddie Brennan and lads like that very well. Got to know Henry and all of that, and they're very very strong characters like Tommy Walsh, like. And it struck me, I don't know if you heard the interview that Tommy Walsh did la- maybe about two years ago when he was asked about nutrition. You know, what was the sort of nutrition on the Kilkenny team? And he says, oh, he says, he says, uh, he says, oh, geez, he says, like, he says, I mean, uh, he says, I think I was in my fifth All-Ireland and I was eating five cooked breakfasts a week. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, a team of that calibre, you know, players of that calibre, you know, who are as good as they were and had such an unbelievable chemistry on top of everything else. You know, the manager really does facilitate. And you see that with Jim Gavin. I mean, there's nothing particularly extraordinary about anything that Jim Gavin says or does. You know, he has a particularly very modest approach to it. The players own the process, you know, he picks characters. You know, he makes sure that, you know, everything's done fairly and honestly. And, you know, we're all volunteers giving of our time and that's it. And if we don't want to do that, we're not going to chase after you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you see that with the group, you know. It's easier said than done, though, Joe. And, and one thing, you know, you look at the Dub- Dublin footballers and you say the same thing about the, the Kilkenny hurlers. There was a, there's a humility about them, you know. And I think that the manager is central to that, that the first time someone is getting ahead of themselves, uh, they're hauled into line. Or they're no longer part of this, you know. And I think that's a you wouldn't absolutely not make any panel. Invariably, there are no, there are very few discipline breaches amongst those panels, or there's very few people that get out. Yeah, yeah. Well, that get out maybe too, but people know how they're supposed to behave. Do you know what I mean? There's there's a set of uh, a set of traits almost passed on by the manager, and they just seem to carry out those kind of those kind of things in their everyday lives and they seem to be well developed in their careers and things like that as well because the manager seems to facilitate that and encourage that as well you know that's dropped down even the club level as well now you know when I started playing you'd be hoping that Jesus you wouldn't smell drink in the dressing room the next morning whereas now it's not even an issue like it's it, it's it's actually harder to get them out now because the bar county level set so high the club players are sort of like the mind themselves so much for even intermediate football, which I'm playing. That's a depressing thought. Anyway, uh, we'll finish up with uh, predictions. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground tonight, but we'll just get uh, Division 1 final hurling and football predictions. Michael, maybe start with you. Uh, yeah, I think Waterford will win the hurling. Um, I think it's going to be a very tight game. I think they will play a sweeper, maybe not the whole time, but I think they'll play it for 45, 50 minutes to maybe stifle Limerick 
la what Limerick did or what Dublin did the other day and what Wexford did in the first round of the league. Um, I think it's going to be a really interesting game, but I think Waterford will just edge it. A lot of forwards didn't hurl well the other day, and I think Kerry will win the, the football. Too much firepower up front. Jamesy? Uh, I think Limerick will win the hurling. I still think that they... You know, they have a bit more maybe than Waterford. Um, now, Waterford still have players to come back. You know, Conor Gleeson is very little game time. De Burka, um But I, I, I think Limerick will have, will have too much for them in the park or in the in, in Croke Park. Uh, football? You won't even be watching. So. I, I, yeah, I, 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 I haven't a clue. <laughs> I, think, I, I think Mayo will win the football. Someone clapping over there for a great job. Yeah, I, I agree with James. You're on both. Short and sweet, Jesus, this is the least you've ever talked. Um, uh, I give Waterford real, I think Waterford will do it. I think um, Dublin might have shone a light on how to get stuck into Limerick. I think their whole half-forward line was taken off the, off the last day. Um, and, and just the, the tallies that ran up, I think there was 31 points against Clare. Um, so I think they've sort of found a bit of a groove at the minute. And uh, I, I think Kerry will win. I think Kerry are uh, a very good team and I think they're very hungry and very determined. And they've, they're very talented players who are playing like fellas who have a lot to prove so I think that's a good mix well that's it for tonight in the throw on podcast in association with Allianz thanks so much for coming out to the Croke Park Hotel and a big thank you to Dunica, Joe, James and Michael for joining me as well you've been great thanks very much Supporting all 32 counties through the Alliance Leagues.